Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Brian and I, our Facebook Live Spark <laughs> Rental Podcast. I forgot what we were called. <laughs> Have we had a senior moment there oh. before your time? A lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we um, last week we talked about the three things that cost landlords money and time, and and we gave suggestions on how to minimize them. This week, we're going to go over seven signs that you are financially stable and three that you're not. Talk about getting out of denial. And, <laughs> and with that, Brian is going to, um, you know, lead this whole thing and talk to us first about savings rate. Right, Brian? I am. Um, as you guys join us, let us know where you're tuning in from and uh, and let us know you know, feel free to fire questions at us as we go. This is interactive. It's not your standard podcast or video cast where we get it all polished and recorded in advance. We do these live. You know, we like to hear from you guys and, you know, make this a two-way street. So without further ado, first sign that you are financially stable is you have a savings rate of at least 15% of your income. Now, some people get hung up on, oh, is, you know, is that 15% of gross income or net income, you know, take home after tax income. And that's not really the point. <laughs> the point is that you have a target savings rate and that you stick with it every month, that you pull that savings rate out of your paycheck on the very first, uh, every time that you get paid. So it's not, oh, whatever's left over at the end of the month, you know, that's what I'll throw towards savings. It's no, every payday, a certain percentage of the money gets peeled right off the top and goes into your, your savings account. Uh, or into your investments or, you know, wherever it is that is set aside for building wealth and not for spending. And your mindset needs to be happy about that. I know that um, <laughs> often we look at it as like, oh, uh, that's less that we can, you know, buy dumb stuff usually. But um, really, it's paying yourself and it's it's paying towards freedom. So, you know, and isn't it true that a lot of financial experts say 10%, but it really, that's not very much. Well, I mean, look, the, the average American sets aside between five and 10% of their, their paycheck and savings. You know, we're, we're not, we're not here to talk to the average American, right? Like we're, we're here to talk to people who are excited about building wealth, building passive income, reaching financial independence, potentially retiring early. So, you know, we're not here talking to the average American. We're talking to people who are enthusiastic about building their wealth and creating their perfect life. So you need to save more than what the average American is doing if you want to do that. So right. bare minimum 15%, preferably way higher. I mean, <laughs> because the, the higher your savings rate, the faster you build wealth and the faster you can build passive income. So this is really the key to reaching financial independence or retiring in a very short time horizon. It's all about savings rate. So Absolutely. you need to design your budget around your savings rate 
not around your expenses. That's where the average American goes wrong is, you know, they list out all their expenses and say, oh, you know, here are my expenses. So, you know, this part that's left over, that's what I can potentially save. That's not how I go about my budget. My budget starts with the savings rate and that money immediately gets, goes off the table. It's not available. Right. And then I plan my spending around what's left. So and there are automated to start there. tools all over the place to do this. So it's out of your face before you even have a chance to do anything with it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if you invest through a robo-advisor, you can set up automatic transfers from your checking account to your uh, robo-advising account. You can use tools like Acorns to automate some of those, those savings each month as well. Or you can just set up uh, recurring ACH transfers between your checking account and your savings account. And however you want to go about it, you know, it's, it's the nuts and bolts of how you do it are less important than the fact that you do it, you have a plan, you're on top of it. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like so much else in personal finance, a lot of it comes down to how you think about money, uh, not about the, the nuts and bolts of it. So, and we do, if you're interested in learning a little more about saving trade, you have a, a pretty comprehensive article about it and some tips to boost it. I'll link to that there in the comments. All right. Second sign that you are financially stable is having an emergency fund. Should be bare minimum one month's expenses, preferably more. So here's here's how I look at emergency fund. People with very stable incomes and very stable monthly expenses can get away with a smaller emergency fund in the, the one to three months worth of expenses range. People with more variable living expenses or more variable monthly incomes, you know, for example, self-employed people, uh, people who have a small business, you know, sometimes their, their income is balanced all over the place. Uh, so depending on your income and your expenses, if it's more variable, aim for more like four to six months at least worth of expenses in your emergency fund. But it does does vary. You know, personal finance is personal, right? I mean, it's, it's not the rules aren't exactly the same for every single person. So, just as a as a crude rule of thumb, one to three months worth of expenses for very very stable like W two employee kind of people with super stable expenses, four to six months or even more worth of expenses for people with more variable expenses and income. And you know, like with savings rate, the first step is simply knowing your numbers. You know, right. what are your monthly expenses? How many monthly, how many months of expenses do you have set aside currently? If you don't have a pretty ready answer to that question, then, you know, you don't, you don't meet this, <laughs> this sign, right? I mean, right. I mean, not to mention stuff down, which includes a budget and, and whatever you want. It, it's, it's just proven that when you write it down, you tend to keep to it more. A hundred percent. You know, have this stuff mapped out, uh, whether that's in a spreadsheet, if you're a spreadsheet nerd like I am, um, you know, or you can use tools like I like mint.com, for example. It's a free tool where you can assemble all of your accounts and see your net worth laid out in one simple place. And it will tap into it'll connect to your accounts automatically and, and auto update those for you. So however you do it, again, it's not about the exact nuts and bolts of how you do it. It's more that you do it in the first place and that you're aware of these things and you're on top right now what about emergencies because they happen you know we get sick or you know other things what what do you suggest for that well absolutely so having an emergency fund is of course you know one step toward that but 
the, the third item here, like you said, Denny, is having protections in place for your health um, and for health emergencies moving forward. And that impacts on how on your ability to earn, because in some ways we are each our own best asset because you know, we, we are how we earn money. Right. I mean, the ability to earn an income is our greatest asset at least until we reach financial independence. And then we don't need to actively earn an income because our investments do right. it for us. But so first things first, you need adequate health insurance. I mean, everyone needs adequate health insurance, no matter what. Now, what adequate means to you is, is different for every person. You know, a single person who is in their 20s and super fit and healthy, they can get away with having, you know, a super high deductible uh, insurance policy, you know, which is really just like a, a doomsday health insurance policy. And combining that with like an HSA, which is, by the way, offers the best tax advantages of any tax right. sheltered account. Super big on HSAs. Um, you know, if, if you are in your late 40s and married and have six children, you probably need a more comprehensive health insurance plan. I mean, you know, <laughs> this, this is just what it is. Um, or if you're older, you know, you might need a more health, a comprehensive health insurance plan than a, a person who's young and single and fit who can get away with that super high deductible plan. Once again, adequate, that definition varies from person to person. But if you do have a high deductible plan, make sure you do have either an HSA or some other kind of sufficient cash reserve to cover that deductible each year in case the worst happens and you do have a, a true health emergency and you, you hit that deductible. You got to pay all that, that high money out of pocket. Right. All right. So health insurance is one part of that. Long-term disability insurance, also important because if you get badly injured and can no longer work, then you're in trouble. Your family is in trouble. And this is especially true for people, for families who rely on one earner in particular, so like single earner households, uh, or if even if both partners work, but one of them earns way, way, way more than the other. Um, Long-term disability insurance, super important. Same concept here, life insurance. You know, it's just two sides of the same coin, right? You know, long-term disability versus death, <laughs> but either way, you lose the ability to earn money and your family loses out on your income. So, And you would be surprised at how many people don't even take that into consideration. And then right. somebody is left in the loop. And, you know, it depends. Right. So it depends on your personal situation too. Young single person, no kids, you know, you probably don't need life insurance or long-term. Well, you may still need long-term disability insurance because you still be alive, but <laughs> still be having to spend money. But if I don't need life insurance if you're 25 and single and don't have kids. If you are 45 and married with the six kids and your partner doesn't work, you probably need life insurance. Unless, of course, you are following the FIRE lifestyle. And, you know, Denny, we talked about this a month or two back, some of the hidden benefits of the FIRE lifestyle. And now one of them is if you have a super high savings rate and you've built up a, a pretty strong portfolio of income producing assets, you may not need long-term disability insurance or life insurance because even if the higher earner dies, the family could still potentially be okay based on their low living expenses, high net worth, and strong passive income. Right. So, um, you know, don't want to. I don't want to overstate that point because you know <laughs> that can be easy to overstate. But uh, we do have a. Uh, we do go into a little bit more detail about that in an article, which I'll pass along in the comments there. As well. All right. Speaking of fire, financial independence, retiring early. The fourth sign of financial stability is knowing your either your five date or your retirement date. Either way, 
uh, and the amount that you need to reach financial independence or to retire. You have to know your numbers. So this means setting targets for your monthly spending and knowing how much of a nest egg or how many income producing assets you need to cover those target living expenses each month. Right? And so, how do you, do you have tips on how one would get to those numbers besides, you know, taking your budget? Um, yes, that's a pretty lengthy conversation in itself, getting into safe withdrawal rates if you're looking at like stocks and bonds. Um, but, you know, and we do have, we actually do have an article breaking down safe withdrawal rates and how real estate kind of changes some of the math on that. I don't have that link handy to pass along here, um, but I'll just keep it super simple for right now and say, you know, if, if you can earn 500 bucks a month cash flow from a rental property, then how many of those rental properties do you need to cover your living expenses, right? And how, what's your time horizon to build that portfolio of rental properties, right? Because it's, it's really not about the target nest egg or the target net worth. It's really about creating that income. So having building enough passive investment income to cover your target monthly living expenses. So when you do that, you reach financial independence and working becomes optional. But you should have a target date for that and you should have a target amount for that. Absolutely. And we talked about... Um well, I'm gonna, let's talk about, I'm jumping right to the spouse being, you know, let's get the spouse on board, but let's slow it down a little bit. Let's talk about asset allocation, which basically is everywhere. <laughs> that's, that's my way of putting it, but Brian will put it better. <laughs> well, so fifth sign of financial stability here is that you know your target asset allocation and you know your current asset allocation. So there's probably two different things, the ideal versus the reality of where you are right now. So asset allocation is, you know, it's a fancy financial term that just means the percentage of your different assets in your portfolio, all of your different investments that are in each different asset class. So for example, I aim for a target of around 40% of my investments being in stocks around 40% of my investments being in direct real estate ownership, like rental properties, and about 20% of my asset allocation being in indirect real estate investments. So things like private REITs, um, private notes, that sort of thing. Now, the reality is different from that target. My reality right now, I have way more in stocks than I want and way less in rental properties that I want, um, but that's okay. You just need to know your target asset allocation and your current asset allocation and have a plan for bridging the gap <laughs> between the ideal and the reality, right? That now, how do you know what kind of asset allocation you want? Again, super personal. It, it, it varies based on your age, based on your uh, how conservative you are financially. It, it varies for risk. Exactly. Exactly. There's a million and how much you like real estate, for example. I mean, you know, then you and I are real estate people. Not everyone is. Right. Um, it just, it varies now. And that's a, that's a whole conversation in itself. If you are totally new to this and, and you need help, talk to a financial advisor because they can at least give you a starting point for this. Um, but I'll give you one quick rule of thumb, uh, the old rule of thumb for asset allocation and that was the rule of 100, which is subtract your age from 100. 
and that's how much money you should have in stocks. Nowadays, it's more like the rule of 110 or 120 because bonds don't pay very well and because people are living longer. Um, but so try that. It's just a super uh, you know, blunt uh, rule of thumb. Subtract your age from 120. That's how much you should have in stocks, theoretically. Um, again, <laughs> speak to a professional and invest a little more time. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. The sixth sign that you are financially stable is that every year you grow your passive income. So Denny and I, you know, you, you've heard us talk about passive income in this, this broadcast right here. We talk about it all the time in other broadcasts and our articles, so we, you know, all over the place. We're all about passive income because with enough passive income, you don't need to work anymore and you reach financial independence. You can go do whatever you want, whether that's spending more time with your family, whether it's traveling more, whether it's quitting your high stress, high octane job and going off and doing something that you're passionate about, whether it's volunteering full time, whatever it is, when you no longer have to go out and work for your money that you need to live on, you're golden. You are free. You can do whatever you want with the rest of your life. And it makes, makes life happier when you don't have to have those Monday blues. Uh, (laughs) well that's right yeah (laughs) yeah i mean when you don't have to work for money you work for fun and for fulfillment so your life becomes you know not about oh the drudgery of trying to make ends meet it's about Mm -hmm. doing what is meaningful to you so here's what you should gotta do for uh for passive income you should be tracking what we call your fire ratio every month that is the percentage of your living expenses that you can cover with your passive income from investments. So super easy and quick example. Let's say that you your monthly living expenses are $5,000 and you have $1,000 currently coming in for, in passive income, whether it's rental properties or dividends from stocks or whatever. So you spend $5,000 a month, you earn $1,000 a month in passive income, you have a 20% fire ratio. That's simple. Right? You can cover 20% of your monthly living expenses with your passive income. When that fire ratio reaches 100%, you've reached financial independence. So, you know, congratulations. Pull out the champagne. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, Denny, you jumped ahead here to number seven. I, the seventh I sign did. of financial stability. Why don't you tell us about that? You know, there are people – I have a – I have a couple friends actually who have grown up in families where they worked at the same company and they retired at the same company and then they're with a spouse who is an entrepreneur and is trying this and trying that and I've seen it clash. So that can be a little hard for, you know, that difference. So I know we talked about this before and how to bring your spouse on board, but what if you're like that? opposite on that opposite end can you do it on your own without a spouse um not really <laughs> not if you're married so the the, the seven, as, as Danny alluded to here the seventh sign of financial stability is that your spouse enthusiastically shares your financial goals and financial vision if you are not perfectly aligned with your spouse then you're going to be pulling in opposite directions here financially and you're going to end up canceling each other, canceling each other out, and and not making any progress because you know while one of you is trying to set aside a whole bunch of money for savings and investments, the other one is running around spending that money. So you right. need to have your spouse on board, not not reluctantly, but enthusiastically sharing your financial goals and vision. 
So you, you want to talk is, about this when you're dating. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes, you do. And, you know, look, I, I, I've had personal experiences with this with my wife. It took years for my wife and I to get on the same page financially. We finally are now. Mostly, <laughs> say we're, we're 95 percent or 90, maybe 99 percent on the same page financially, uh, which is enough. Um, but for years, we had a very different vision. I mean, she wanted to spend, spend, spend to live large. I wanted to save, 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 and invest and build passive income. And you know, we clashed, and you know, it, it took a series of compromises and a, a many, many conversations over many bottles of wine <laughs> to, to <laughs> get to the same place financially. So, you know, this is something that we talked about uh, in detail just a couple weeks ago. We also have an article on it. If you guys missed that, that episode, and we'll share a link to that here as well. Um, but super important if you're married or, or have like a life partner that you live with or whatever, super important that you share the same financial vision and goals. So Absolutely. Make sure you're on the same page. All right, Denny, what are some signs that you are not financially stable? Well, if you are looking at your credit karma report <laughs> and you see balances on every single one of your credit cards that are pretty high, that's a good sign that uh, you're not in the good direction there. Yeah, or really, I mean, carrying any credit card debt is a bad sign. You really, right. you don't want to be carrying any credit card debt month to month. Like by all means, have a credit card, take advantage of the points, use those points to travel. I'm all about it. But at the end of every single month, pay off your balances in full. Right. So, yeah. Right. And even only- a lot of time people think because you're, you have new credit or you're new, you're getting credit new that you go, you know, charge and it builds it, but you don't want to do that. That's quite the opposite of what you should be doing. Um, no, pay it, pay it in full every single month. Yes. Because otherwise we'll get hit with, with heavy interest. Uh, and if you carry more than 30% of any given card's balance, available balance, then it hurts your credit. So, and the same, the same also goes for other unsecured debts, like personal loans, uh, you know, anything that's an expensive, high interest, unsecured debt, that is making you poorer every month, not richer. Yeah. Now, which is not, that's not necessarily this true of secured debts. Um, I mean, the best example of that is a, a rental property that has a mortgage on it, but the rental property still generates cash flow every month. You know, that, that mortgage is not a problem because you're, you're earning money on that asset every month, despite the, the, the mortgage. Um, Credit card debt, that just makes you poorer. So Right. Absolutely. You uh, also need to keep you need to keep your eyes open. You do need a budget. Everybody, whether you want to be financially secure or not, everybody needs a budget. You just otherwise you're you're never gonna attain the goals of financial security and you're probably gonna end up the other way. So you have to keep right. track and of your, your spending. Yeah. And, you know, keep in mind that we use the word budget here a little bit loosely. You know, everyone has their own approach to, to budgeting that, I mean, multiple approaches to budgeting can work. You can have the traditional like spreadsheet approach that is super detailed, um, you know, or, you know, so what, what my wife and I do, 
we live on her salary and all of my income we save and invest. So we just need to make sure that at the end of each month, we haven't spent any more than my wife earns, which, you know, we, we typically, we don't. So, you know, whatever, so it can be informal like that, but you have to have some form of budgeting. You know, how, how you approach it is up to you, but you have to have something. And it needs to be a system that consistently meets that target savings rate. That's, that's the, the litmus test of whether your budget works is whether you, every single month, get that, that target savings rate into your investments. And build in the things that you, I mean, we all have something that we might really, really want. It's not necessarily a need, but build it into the budget then because otherwise yeah. you're, you're going to stray off it anyway. Oh, every budget should have discretionary spending in there. You know, right. we're, we're not we're not monks, right? I mean, we, we yeah, we, we want to live. So yes. yeah, build in discretionary. You don't have to live on cup and noodle and um, you know, water. And exactly. The last one is if you're not keeping an eye on your net worth, so you should pretty much have a good idea of of your what your portfolio is looking like. So if somebody asks, you should be able to go. Psh, that's it. Instead of wait. <laughs> I have to check this out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Christina uh, Colin, who uh, you know she, she she's been following along in the comments, and uh, you know brought brought Dan Basley on here to join us as well, and and said you know it's not just enough to have the budget, you actually have to follow the budget too, which is a yes. great point, Christina. Uh, thank you for, uh, for for pointing that out there, um, because yeah, you a lot of people have a budget. But don't necessarily stick to it every month. So, you know, say, oh, I'm fine. I have a budget. But, you know, if you, if you blow your budget every month, then, you know, <laughs> why bother having a budget at all? Seriously. So, so, like Danny said, third and final is tracking your net worth. You should have a sense for your net worth at any given moment. It doesn't need to be to the penny. I mean, you know, if you own stocks, for example, you know, they're bouncing all over the place every day. Right. But you should have a, a sense of your net worth and you should every single month at least take a look at your net worth to see how it's changed. And once again, check out mint.com as a, as a free resource to, to help you automate tracking your net worth. Right. So there's Dang. really no reason anymore. I mean, back in my day, everything was, it wasn't as available. So that was a big excuse, but now there's no excuse. It's easier than ever before to be fiscally responsible, to save money, to invest your money and diversify your investments. So no excuses I mean, you know, easier than ever before. Absolutely. Denny, is there anything else that you want to add here before we call this episode complete? No, Brian, I think that you have covered it all. <laughs> well, I touched the subject too, but you have covered it all. <laughs> well, <laughs> I certainly ran my mouth enough, but you guys let us know what you want to hear about next week. This is again, all about you, not us. So, you know, shoot us a message over Facebook or reach out to us through our website. Let us know what kind of topics you want to hear us talk about in the weeks to come. And I promise Denny and I actually read those ourselves. It's not delegated to like a minion somewhere. <laughs> you know, we're here for you guys. It's all about you. So, Absolutely. and we do have one, uh, one final thought that Christina wanted to add here. She says, it's so funny back in 2004 when I bought my multifamily, I did not have savings and I knew nothing about cap rates, <laughs> but oh. you know, you uh, you are in a very different place now, I'm guessing, Christina. <laughs> uh, she says, sometimes I feel the more I know, the less risk I take. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, uh, to, to put a little twist on that, Christina, the more you know, 
the more uh, intelligent your risks become, right? The more calculated right. those risks become. So you can, you know, it's not that you don't take any risks, it's that you take calculated risks because you know enough to be able to, to calculate what is the, the risk return ratio on this investment and to only buy investments where you feel that the, the risk is low and the return is high. So, and there are no mistakes if you're learning by them. That's right. It, they're not called mistakes. It's called tuition. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, Edward, Edward Torres says it was great advice. Learning a lot from this group. Edward, we, we appreciate that. So, you guys, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next Tuesday. We broadcast these, this podcast and video series live every Tuesday, 2 o'clock Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. And uh, Stacey's, Stacey Hester says, just getting started, trying to learn from the pros. Uh, well, we we, uh, <laughs> we appreciate you joining us here, Stacey, and hopefully we qualify as the pros. Or at least <laughs> so. ones who made mistakes and paid tuition. <laughs> yes, I've, I've made, I've paid a lot of that tuition over the years. <laughs> I've made a lot of those expensive mistakes. <laughs> All right, you guys, we'll see you next Tuesday and have a great week. Reach out and let us know what you want to hear about next week. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Did you know we offer a free eight video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com slash learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you on the flip side.